The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Saturday, June 15th. Dogfish Heads Off-Centered Beer and Food Journey with Sam Calagione. Hello, everybody. How are you all? Excellent. You're such a calm group right now. I don't think you'll be calm for long, based on the presenter. Um, I'm going to kick us off and get us started. My name is Julia Herz with the Brewers Association, who puts on Saver. We're very excited to have you here. We know you're taking about 45 minutes out of your Saver downstairs. This is going to be truly worth it and special, though, for sure. Um, also want to thank uh, organizations that make Saver and events like this possible. Manhattan Distributing, Beer Gets to Market by Distributors, and Manhattan has made Saver possible, which is a huge deal. Um, we've got Spiegelau in the house, Matt's in the back. So excited to have you a part of what Dogfish is doing in this seminar. And the glassware is amazing. Also sponsoring this room is Hopman Custom Brewery Apparel. And um, you should guys should be aware that if anyone is like, oh my God, that was the most amazing salon, you can listen to this after. Craftbeerradio.com is recording every salon, 24 of them at Saver, that'll be rebroadcast on craftbeer.com in a few weeks. So be aware that that's available and accessible to you. So the gentleman in the room um, that really is kind of uh, needs no introduction, that's why you're all here. Sam Calgione has just become known for off-centered ales, for off-centered people. We are all off-centered in the craft beer world. Is there a beer revolution going on or what? We are going beyond light American lager um, and enjoying different beers, different occasions. That's what it's all about. And with that, I am honored to introduce and listen to uh, Sam. So Sam, come on up and thanks for everything you put into this salon. It's not going to be a very organized presentation, I promise you that. Um, actually, I might steal it. Is it remote? remote? Okay, cool. Can you guys, is it coming through on that? Good? All right. Uh, I'm Sam from Dogfish. I'm here with my coworker, Synovia. Raise your hand if Synovia's in the room. She might be out uh, getting uh, the food ready. I think she is. But she's our... Uh, our beer-centric food guru. This is her uh, realm that we'll be playing in tonight. Um, I'm going to give you a, a real brief background on, on how Dogfish Head started and kind of our mission in the beer world. And then we're going to introduce a, a buddy of ours who's critical to our food collabs uh, and go on a little food and beer uh, journey together tonight. Um, our brewery opened in 1995. Um, in that year, we were the smallest commercial brewery in America. Uh, I was living here in New York City uh, in 92. I graduated from college, and I uh, worked in a beer bar on the Upper West Side. And like most of you probably in college, I just drank whatever was cheapest. And then I got here, and I worked at a beer bar, and I got shift drinks. And so in one week, my shift drinks were Chimay Red and Sierra Nevada Celebration. And it was an epiphany moment for me. And within a week, I went to the one store in Manhattan that sold homebrew ingredients called Little Shop of Hops. Uh, that's no longer there, and bought my homebrew equipment. And my first time I ever brewed, I was going by a bodega. I bought like a kit to do a pale ale. And as I went by the bodega, there was a uh, they were they were almost giving away uh, really cheap. Those are the people from the bodega. 
uh, next door clapping. But they were giving away, they were giving away almost very cheap, uh, really uh, overly ripe cherries. So I bought those and I brought them home. And I, uh, in my carboy, my glass carboy, I kind of squeezed them in. So our first beer was one that was already kind of one that was on a path outside of uh, the Rhine Heights kebab. And uh, that beer turned out wonderful. And I stood up in front of all my roommates and said, this is what I'm going to do in my life. I'm going to make beer. And then my next two batches were horrible. Uh, but I'd already said this is what I'm going to do in my life, so I stuck to it. Uh, and I did my research uh, here in the library in New York City, uh, and I learned that the first generation of craft brewers are making amazing, uh, beautiful, all-grain beers. But in, in general, they were almost always referencing European continental styles. Sierra Nevada, beautiful, beautiful, citrusy, pale ale, but has some uh, English lineage. Uh, Sam Adams Lager, beautiful, all-grain, full-flavored lager, but referencing German beers. And knowing we were going to start super small, I wanted to try and find a niche. So what we tried to do was, instead of referencing uh, European beers, was taking more of a, a, um, a nod towards Alice Waters or uh, James Beard, the first foodies that kind of said, let's celebrate American ingredients and make American cuisine, cheers, uh, that's not referencing uh, European traditions. So when our brewery opened in 95, we were brewing with chicory and licorice and brown sugar and maple syrup and vanilla beans. Um, and in that era, we, we took a lot of shit for, for screwing with tradition. Um, and that got us to, uh, to reference the longer history of brewing and whether or not people consciously know it, when they talk about traditional brewing, they're referencing the Reinheitsgebot, which is this law from Bavaria that happened in 1516 that mandated you could only legally make beer with water, hops, and barley. Yeast had yet to been discovered by Pasteur, so it was a, a given. Uh, and in essence, that's a law that the Bavarians, that's a war the Bavarians won within, you know, uh, two or three centuries. 95% of the beer commercially sold around the world genuflected towards uh, the Reinheitsgebot, uh, whether full-on, like the Germans do, or sort of what the big American breweries do, which is they got our government to say, okay, corn and rice can be part of what that tradition is as well. And so for us, when we went further back in history to prove that what we were doing with culinary ingredients had a long history, we discovered so many beers that had so many different ingredients in them. Basically, every culture made beer with whatever was beautiful and natural and grew under the, the, the land they lived in, whether it was, uh, you know, like uh, um, in, in, in Turkey, there was grapes and, and saffron because hops had not been domesticated yet so saffron was the spice that counterbalances the sweetness of the barley or in Egypt where I got to go a few years ago um, where they use uh, um, basically a, a spice called za'atar which has oregano and salt in it and dom which is palm fruit and it was on that trip in Italy that I saw a pretty existential moment for me the earliest known human uh, um, write, written example of brewing of beer and it was a hieroglyph that this the same symbol meant both beer and bread and to be in this room that had this 3,000 year old uh, drawing was huge for me as a brewer but it was also great for me because I, I started as a culinary brewer and to see that the, the one hieroglyphic symbol meant both beer and bread it was not even separated by our ancestors it was one nutritional thing in liquid form 
or solid form, uh, you know, it was really refreshing for me to remind me that when we started a brewery based around culinary ingredients, we were mostly looking backwards for inspiration, even though when we started, it seemed like we were doing kind of some freaky stuff. So recently, um, we, we decided to take our love of culinary ingredients in our beer in a new direction. And while our home has always been in our brew pub where we started, uh, we felt like there was an opportunity to take that show on the road and make it a movable feast and do our, our beers or do our foods the way we do our beers, in other words, in distribution. So you guys are among the first in New York that are going to try uh, our new line of uh, beer-infused foods beer-infused uh, foods. Uh, we've been doing food-centric beers for uh, 17 years, but uh, now we've gone on, on, on this route. And we purposely chose as our put our toe in the water to uh, partner uh, with, with companies that um, we believe in and that we uh, share some sort of DNA with. And it can be a, a bigger company, like we'll talk about uh, later, that has gigantic roots in uh, our part of the country, the Delmarva Peninsula. Or it can also be smaller companies that remind Dogfish of our humble roots when we were the smallest brewery in the country and where we were way, way more about the creativity and passion than we were about business. Um, and I think that that, that, that sort of honesty uh, shined through and uh, helped us get where we are. So with that, I want to introduce uh, one of the three food collabor collaboration partners that we have who happens to be based in New York, uh, which is my good friend Seamus, who owns uh, Brooklyn Brine Brewery, and I invite you to come up and talk about the first course that folks are having with us, Seamus. Give it up for Seamus. I think that mic works. You might want to take it off there if you don't want to. So, uh, you know, it's awesome to see the artisanal food movement and the beer movement are really part of both niches within the local vor movement of people trading up to better stuff. And uh, Seamus's story is very uh, similar to, to Dogfish's. So if you can tell us a little bit about your company, this collaboration and new projects on your horizon. Uh, so my company is Brooklyn Brine. Uh, I started in 2009. My background was as a chef. Uh, I've always worked in the food hospitality industry. Um, I haven't eaten meat for over half my life, so kind of my quick story when people ask why pickles, the idea of being able to preserve seasonal and micro-seasonal produce to implement layers of flavor, uh, sour, salty, sweet, savory, spicy, really started to catch my interest when I was writing menus and working in different houses. Um, Brooklyn Brine was essentially a necessity for a next step of a career path uh, having worked for many crazy owners, I kind of threw my hat uh, into the ring in 2009 and decided to be the crazy owner. So uh, I started it without a business plan or without operating capital, without any market research and definitely without a trust fund. Uh, just going into uh, a, a restaurant in Brooklyn um, from 10 p.m. to 8 in the morning. And that was the first 10 months of starting the company. So arguably we were probably one of the smallest artisan pickle companies in the nation. Um, in that time, I was able to really uh, hone the craft because it's an art and it's a science. You know, the art is the creativity and the flavors and the, the whatever you can envision to bring to the market. And the science is, you know, the whole food side of it where we have to have things tested by Cornell and the FDA. It's totally boring. Um, but we sort of stood out from maybe the rest of the pack of 
people that I would consider colleagues now in a, a similar thing that's going on with craft brewing, a rising tide against you know commodified, uh, centrally machine-produced, India-packed pickles. You know, we're trying to bring something back to the way that they should be, but with our own unique twist. So um, part of our line is incorporating uh, distilled spirits, and that was really our first kind of uh, offering that was a first-to-the-market idea. Um, about a year and a half ago, I woke up to an email from Sam uh, introducing himself, saying, you know, we've never met. My name is Sam. I own this company. I don't know if you've heard of uh, us. Uh, it was extremely ironic for me because I was reading your book, and I was literally probably drinking a beer at the time. But in that email, uh, they, he was just said, we have this idea to put hops into pickles, but we don't make pickles, you know. Would you guys... Uh, be game to try this out. So uh, immediately we just started trading ideas back and forth and it was very clear that even though there's a disparity in what we do, you know, you're in the craft, we're in the food, that there was something similar and it was this striving towards being highly creative and kind of changing people's perception of what they think of a pickle. Um, my company's mission is to really show you that it's an elevated pickle, that it's not just a, a something that's on the side of a sandwich that you just need to have with a hamburger, that it can stand on its own. A lot of our items we do, it's meant to be diced up into a fine brunoise and uh, sautéed and incorporated into a dish, um, all with respect to the sour, salty, sweet, savory, spicy, and umami. Um, Sam sent us a bunch of beer and a bunch of different hops in different formats. We made a bunch of really awful testers. And, uh, <laughs> I still have some of those in my fridge. Yeah, uh, I am not a home brewer. Uh, I had never worked with hops before. The grassy, greeny, bitter notes that you can offset with your malted barley, we just couldn't do. And we're not going to put something out on the market that's, you know, has corn syrup or anything unnaturally uh, to sweeten it. Um, so it was when. The 60 Minute, which is one of my favorite beers, and I'm sure all of you share the same feeling, uh, that came to testing, and also a little container of hop oil that Sam sent, which they do not use in their brewing. It's traditionally used for food or for fragrance, uh, but it's distilled hops down into an oil. Uh, this little vial container, uh, you said, would make 100 cases in your brewery, and we're literally doing testers with beer bottles. So we're totally terrified to use it, but uh, when we finally got around to putting a pin drop into our kettle with the 60-minute and apple cider vinegar, the whole factory just plumed with the citrusy, piney notes of the Cascade and just tell, like, oh, this is the one. So uh, product getting samples getting shipped back and forth, finally got the go-ahead, uh, went down, hung out with uh, everyone at Dogfish just to see if two companies could vibe together because it's less of a, a marketing kind of, you know, scheme uh, vision and more of two like-minded companies wanting to bring something that really is a first-to-the-market idea and something exciting uh, into the place. So I got to interject there. It was a really neat moment when he took, you know, basically they're working their asses off, growing their company, and he shut down the company and took every single one of his coworkers down to meet everyone at Dogfish, you know, to make sure that the relationship felt right, and 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 it did. But it was kind of like a uh, um, conversions of two worlds when you had all these tattooed Brooklyn people <laughs> wearing jeans on the beach with all of us I, locals in I, our shorts. It was I, kind of, I'm detecting a note, a, a little a slight bitter note about that bocce ball victory we had. <laughs> they I'll did beat us. Know. They uh, beat us in our own bocce ball courts. That's true. 
You, Sorry to interrupt. Your, your kids were cheating. They didn't have the beer in the hand. It was my kids. They're not allowed to drink yet. Go ahead. Um, uh, on that note, what was really exciting for me was to bring my coworkers down and to see just who to, to I mean, obviously they respect Dogfish and Sam, but to actually meet the people that we're working with and just to see what what's just been offered, what's happening. I mean, this is insane. He's 17 years ahead of us, and, you know, we're more similar to when you just started, so how this is kind of going back and forth, I, I don't know. Um, I could probably go on about that. But, uh... The first meeting when it was just me and we could see if we could vibe together, what really uh, kind of blew my mind is that night at Rehoboth, you know, not to kind of say that any of your co-workers are more valuable than others, but literally every prominent manager and owner and Sam's wife was at that table with me. And it's funny, like if an asteroid would have hit that table, you know, dogfish would be done, you know? Um, Probably. So anyway, uh, we brought the product to market in July of last year, so we're coming up on the year anniversary of it. Uh, we've worked our butts off into getting uh, beer delivered. Our Sam on your end has been working on, uh, had worked out, took a long time, uh, getting us beer um, from, you know, us having to get kegs from a uh, distributor to you getting the TTB to sign off on allowing us for it to get a one-ton uh, denatured toad of 60-minute IPA delivered on a UPS truck direct to our uh, brinery, which is a pretty exciting note. But it's like uh, the equivalent of uh, about uh, 14 kegs of salted beer. Imagine the UPS guy in his shorts <laughs> trying to get that out of the truck. Sometimes it, it spits a little bit when it's in the back of the truck, so when he opens it, uh, it just smells like 60-minute IPA. It's pretty rad. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my point was is that in, over the course of the last year, it seems that the market has really taken to it, and guests seem to really enjoy this uh, kind of unique odyssey into a you know first to the market uh, idea of infusing beer and hops into a pickle that we're uh, building layers of flavor around. We're using apple cider vinegar to. Uh, complement the, the sweet notes of the 60-minute. The Cascade hops obviously compound the aggressive hopping that goes in on the brewing side. Uh, we're adding caramelized onions and smoked paprika, uh, habanero to give it a nice medium heat. Um, this pickle goes really well with uh, sharp cheeses, with deep fried, uh, diced up as a relish on its own with a beer. It's just a really versatile uh, product that's built around one of our favorite beers. Speaking so. of deep fried, you guys have a project coming up. So uh, it's incredibly exciting for Sam to give us the opportunity to announce that we are opening a fried pickle shack around the corner from <laughs> our, uh, our factory in Brooklyn. We're on President Street between 3rd and 4th Avenue. And because my background was of a chef and my foreign woman, who actually isn't here with me, she was at the earlier event, was a chef as well, we're going to really bring to market this kind of uh, expansion of what's going on with the hot pickle and also some of the other items that we're doing. So the fried pickles is the draw. The sandwiches that are uh, pulling from the tap lines that are going to be prominently featuring dogfish beer, mostly dogfish beer, uh, making uh, new and exciting pickles, using it as a beta testing area for uh, culinary adventures, uh, condiments made with different beers, uh, 
Randall, the enamel junior animal fresh hopping <laughs> device. Uh, so your, your farmers that you're getting your vegetables from will also be doing yeah. vegetables, herbs, spices that go through the Randalls. So we, we primarily pull from Hudson Valley and then central New York and the Finger Lakes region um, farms. So there's an incredibly exciting and rich agricultural uh, presence up there that we continually pull uh, from. So... Um, Sam telling us that all these crazy spices and herbs and peppers that we use uh, in our pickles can also be loaded up into this fresh hopping or fresh infusing machine that we can run the beer lines through. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting for us. We're opening it July 15th. It's going to be called the Pickle Shack. Uh, Brooklyn, look for it. Fourth Avenue between President and Carol. Um, yeah, well, on that side of Fourth Avenue, it's considered Gowanus, but you know, Park Slope keeps moving towards or. Now Gowanus is gaining momentum. But uh, thank you, Sam. Thank you. Seriously. Give it up for Seamus. <laughs> so at any rate, I don't know how many tap lines they'll have, but it'll, like Seamus said, we're excited to be doing most of the beer with these guys. And there'll be two Randalls basically running through whatever's in the pickle maker's imaginations for the combinations of herbs, uh, fruits, spices, uh, and vegetables. Um, through those Randalls. So I believe you guys have in front of you, I've already eaten mine, I, I heard your, your spoons working as well. So uh, the other, the, the second of the food collaborations that we're doing, um, when, when I said we, we, we need to find authentic ways into each of these collaborations, either the inspiration was um, a fellow, you know, art first business uh, person like, like Seamus, um, or uh, a company that has super deep roots in our region. And so the second one is a company uh, called Sea Watch, and they're the biggest processor of uh, clams in the country. Um, the other filter we used for these collaborations was they had to be family-owned uh, companies. We frankly didn't want to work with any companies that's first priority was maximizing shareholder value every quarter. We wanted to work with people that were really, really passionate about uh, the industry they were in. And so um, this company, Sea Watch, uh, produces, I forget how many tons of, of clams a day, uh, but it's pretty incredible. And inspiration for the re this recipe, I finally, uh, how many people in this room started Moby Dick, the book Moby Dick? Raise your hands. All right. How many people finished Moby Dick? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, and I did get through it finally. I tried in high school. I tried in college. I, I got through it maybe five years ago. And on one page, I, there was a recipe. Ishmael uh, was a recipe for hardtack chowder, uh, clam chowder. And it was literally like verbatim what ingredients went in it. And I was amazed as I Googled that nobody had actually commercially attempted that. So our dogfish head hardtack chowder is basically that recipe verbatim with two changes. Uh, we do a reduction of 60 minute into the base that you can get in either a 15 ounce can that you can go to dogfish.com and buy. Or, uh, and then in addition to that, once you reconstitute it, it's reconstituted with Palo Santo Marone, our brown ale, or use a brown ale from another American craft brewery. You're looking for the roasted character of the grains. It works really well as to reconstitute that soup. Uh, so it has cream, 
Palo Santo, and then the 60 minute that's already reduced in the can uh, for that uh, chowder. And while we're waiting for the, the, the last course to come around, to tell you a little bit about this, uh, this food project, if you come and visit us, if you got, uh, you've got uh, sheets in front of you, uh, little uh, kits with a picture of uh, Paul Bunyan on the front of it. And, uh, you know, I, I drew that, uh, I drew that, uh, advertisement for dogfish back when we could, before we could afford to make ads, I would paint our print ads. And that one I painted in, uh, about 1997 or 98, the one on the cover. And it was cause I was thinking about that. The legend of Paul Bunyan is very, very similar to, uh, what's happening, uh, in America with the craft brewing, uh, revolution and particularly what we were trying to do at dogfish, which is, um, most of the legends before the 1700s, 1800s, mostly 1800s when we were, we were moving westward, most of the legends or stories were European, whether it was uh, the, the Bible or Chaucer or, or Shakespeare. And the legend of Paul Bunyan is kind of the first American uh, legend that was born in North America in the logging camps on the East Coast. And it's also very similar to the craft brewing revolution in that it was 100% of grassroots uh, built legend. It was basically stories that were told in these logging camps on the East Coast that were told to kind of give these uh, these frontier-oriented pioneers on their journey west uh, a feeling of safety, that there was this giant looking out for them as, as they moved westward. And of course, the, the legend of Paul Bunyan was born in Maine on the Atlantic and moved westward. Dogfish, our company name is from Maine, where I grew up, but our brewery's on the Atlantic uh, Ocean, and we moved westward. Um, of course, wet wood is central to the legend of Paul Bunyan. He was a, a lumberjack, and Dogfish head, everything we cook is cooked over oak and hickory logs in our brewery and our food truck. Um, and and we, we, we embraced this legend when I did that uh, painting in the, in the late 90s. And then I, I didn't do anything else about Paul Bunyan for a bunch of years. But about three or four years ago, um, we, we, were, we had the opportunity to do a television show on Discovery. And we were really proud of that and proud of the way that show represented our industry. We had some challenges with uh, a major advertiser on that show. And it reminded us about the difference between big breweries and small breweries. But we're still proud to do that show. And that show kind of cul culminated at a, at, a, at a moment in our company's history where uh, demand got so far in front of supply that we were frustrating more people than we were making happy in our local market. So we made a difficult decision to close down four states and the other countries that we we're distributing in and refocus on the mid-Atlantic, our home market. And uh, as we did that, it was very hard. My wife does all our social media. If you ever see a Twitter, Facebook, that's my wife up in bed doing all that herself. Uh, uh, you have, probably. You see, you're keeping me from getting lucky when you do that. <laughs> we should talk. Yeah. You know, I should know that and I don't, but that's a great question for Mariah. So 3 a.m. tomorrow night, I'll be home. Perfect time for coitus interruptus. Ask her. Ask her that. Ask her that. <laughs> um, no, they're out of Milford, Delaware. Look that one up. Um, but uh, I've lost my train of thought thinking about it. Um, at any rate, I hadn't thought about that, that, that Paul Bunyan legend until we 
pulled out all his markets and I read a poem called Paul's Wife by Robert Frost. And the theme of that poem is about it's about Paul Bunyan's wife. And basically what would happen, he was, t- he was telling the regular legend of Paul Bunyan, but he was uh, basically the story was Paul would be in a lumber camp moving westward. And if one of the lumberjacks said, hey, Paul, it's awesome that you're doing this thing and building the Grand Canyon by dragging blue the ox through the Grand Canyon, but how's your wife? And whenever anyone would ask him how his wife was, he would drop his, his axe and just disappear. And so this poem tells the story about what happened when he disappeared. And what they learned through the poem is that um, he went home back to his wife or back to, back to his home uh, anytime he would disappear. And that's kind of what, what Dogfish Head did when we retracted out of those, those markets. Uh, we came back home and focused on, on what we call C1, C2, uh, our, our radius of priority, which is New York City. Uh, to Northern Virginia. Um, and so that's why we partnered for this food project with companies within C1. Seamus's company uh, represents the, the high end of that radius. And then Sea-Watch is 20 minutes from, from our, our front door. And then the third company, and I think you're getting it now, is uh, the Purdue company. And so Purdue, unlike uh, Seamus's company and mine, actually has sizable market share. For context, Dogfish Head produces about 8,000 cases of beer a day. And that sounds uh, like a lot. And in the context of the, the breweries that are the awesome breweries that are downstairs, we're among the biggest. But for reference, our brewery has about one 15th of 1% market share. And like Seamus's world with the Vlasics and the folks that he has to compete against, those breweries downstairs collectively, all of us, including Sam Adams, have 6% market share. And there's two global companies that we're uh, competing with that have over 80% market share. Um, so when we found a company like Purdue that we thought about doing business with, we're like, wait a second, they're kind of big. That's weird. Uh, does this feel right? But as I got to talk with Jim Purdue, um, I learned about his company's challenges, trying to keep his family running that company. And basically the other big, big chicken poultry companies are 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 outside of America and buying up like Allen Chicken just got it bought up by an Eastern European conglomerate and so I started to feel China just bought a, a big one and uh, Purdue as a company touches over half a million acres on the Delmarva Peninsula and employ thousands of people so as 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 we went through those conversations that opportunity for a collaboration started to feel really really authentic. So what we did is we uh, collaborated with the um, subsidiary of Purdue called Coleman Hans, which is uh, their all-natural brand. So another filter for our collaborations was only companies that could get on the shelves of Whole Foods. Uh, There's lots of wonderful retailers, but Whole Foods is probably the biggest that has like a a, a really great filter in terms of... uh, um, you know, antibiotic-free, all-natural, and low-sodium. So all of the dogfish food collaborations can be and will be in Whole Foods. And it was really cool that Purdue was able to, to do this with us in a way that would be as well. So we spent over a year, like we did with Seamus, myself, Mariah, Adam Lambert, our VP of Sales, Cindy, our HR Director, Nick, our COO, and Tim, our Brewmaster, sitting down every two months and trying different R&D batches of these brats. Um, so what you have in front of you are the results of that year and a half of R&D, and uh, we learned that Midas Touch, Raison d'Etre, and Chicory Stout were the beers that worked the best to be ingredients uh, in these in these brats. So I don't know which ones we have. Do you? Know? 
Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, Jesus Christ, I don't know. Uh, Synovia. Synovia, are you in the room? Can you talk a little bit about the, uh, this is Synovia, who's our food, beer-centric food uh, guru. Do you want to talk about the two different uh, brats? He told me I wouldn't have to talk. Yeah, you're talking. Oh, man. Born in Brooklyn, this girl. Give it up. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, so <clears throat> I actually have to peek because I'm not sure which one. She said peek. Peek. Okay. <laughs> so the one that has the pick in it is actually the Greek feta. Um, we're pairing that with... Don't do that. Uh, Six, yeah, okay, making sure. Uh, we're pairing that with uh, 61. Uh, this brat is made with Midas Touch. It has uh, feta and spinach in it. Um, so try that one. I'm not a public speaker. He's way better at this than me, so I, I apologize. The second one is actually uh, heirloom Italian. So it has a couple pepper flakes in it, red pepper flakes in it, and that's pairing with uh, the bitches brew. I don't you, I, that, There you go. <laughs> So uh, uh, within uh, weeks, these will be available at like Wegmans and uh, different uh, retailers from New York uh, down to Northern Virginia. Maybe not weeks. It might take us a month and a half to get these out, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and uh, but the, 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 the chowder and the uh, pickles are available uh, now. Um, the 61, I love that beer. Uh, as a brewer, you're... you're, you're especially a brewery like us that has 35 beers that we bottle. Um, and our brewery is one that really tries to celebrate the full breadth of our portfolio and not pick any favorites. Um, and I always say, when people say, what's your favorite beer? I always say, oh, they're all our children. We love them equally, you know? But uh, 61's the child I have incest with. Is that a little weird? <laughs> I've been I've been drinking a lot I've been drinking a lot of that one lately. So it just got to market. It's our sixty minute plus one, hence the name, which is as it's as it hits high croisin, uh for you home brewers when the yeast is super duper active, we time it so a container load, a eighty two thousand dollar uh container load of Syrah grape must coming from California, when we know it's uh, basically past Ohio, we brew that batch, and as the yeast is growing, as it's coming east, uh, that, that container comes right outside our brew house, hook up a hose to the uni tank, and we dose in uh, the Syrah, and the Syrah accounts for about 25% of the fermentable sugars. So if you hold it up, you see that beautiful color, um, and uh, it's a dry, fruity beer. It's not, it's not sweet. It's a beautiful uh, food beer, so I hope you guys find it. It pairs well uh, with the brats. Um, I want to thank everyone at the uh, Brewers Association. I see uh, Bob Peace in this room for, for bringing uh, Savor to New York. Have you guys enjoyed this event being in New York? Um, I, I want to give a quick quick plug. If you're having the 61, the right glass to have it in is our uh, our special IPA glass. Uh, it's like, but wait, if you order now, we'll throw in this empty box. Um, but at any rate, one thing I'm really proud about with this is as we negotiated to do this with uh, Spiegelau, Dogfish, and uh, Sierra, we had the opportunity to take a licensing fee, and Dogfish and Sierra 
decided instead of taking that fee uh, to put that money into hop research. And I was talking earlier about uh, the fact that we're in an industry dominated by two, oh, good, good, uh, dominated by two giant uh, companies. And that's very true. And in, in years ago, I've been on the board of the Brewers Association long enough to actually be privileged to be in a meeting with uh, Augie Bush IV. And as competitive as that era was, the Bush family truly cared about beer and they wanted to win at beer because they had beer running through their bloods for five generations. And uh, recently that, that company's fallen out of the direction of that family and they're still a, a strong, big uh, company and I wish, wish them luck. But a big change is that once that company fell out of the Bush's hands, the folks that were running it were less about beer and more about business. So they pulled a lot of money out of hop and barley research in America. And they were awesome back in the era of the Bush family running that, of supporting the actual raw ingredients research and quality in our, in our country. So, you know, Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada is one of the greatest champions of quality ingredients research in this company. It's, he never talks about it, but any brewing American send their beer to his QC lab and his QC giant department will give them feedback on it because he's so passionate about uh, quality. So as Dogfish and Sierra walked towards this uh, collaboration, we said, you know, the, the, the research for great, great hop development has, uh, the budget's been, been cut. Let's put our money back, back into that to help that grow. So know that if you do buy these glasses, money goes towards that, but also know that the Brewers Association is really stepping up as some of the bigger breweries are stepping back in terms of quality, ingredient, uh, technical research. Um, so I think I've talked a long enough. You got your brats in front of you. I don't know how much time I have left, but if you have any questions, I'd be uh, glad to answer them if there's any. <laughs> Question from an old friend back there. You still have your hand raised? It's my buddy Don who runs sales for Revolution Brewery in Chicago, making great beers. I didn't make it up, but sometimes it's at the Kentucky border. Sometimes it's near you in Chicago. But when the truck's on the move and east of the Mississippi is when we're like, okay, get that beer in the fermenter. Good question, Don. Good. It's a two-parter. So Syrah grape must. Must is uh, uh, pre-fermented. So it's viscous. It's thick with the sugars. Uh, much like wort. It's the, it's the winemaking equivalent of, of wort if you're a home brewer. So it's the pre-fermented base. And we, the $82,000 or whatever it is we pay, part of that premium is shipping it so cold that the temperature would not allow the wild yeast that just happens to be on it to start working and fermenting it while it's on the way across the country so that we can control that fermentation. Yours is a two-part question. That's Yeah, uh, I, we just got to uh, go to uh, Scandinavia, uh, Sweden, um, to do a, a collaborative beer. And for those of you who are lucky enough to travel around the world, it's a really neat moment in beer culture around the world because 30 years ago, American commercial beer was kind of the laughing stock of the global brewing community uh, because it was just this 
uh, homogenize one thing, light lager, that Americans were known for making. And the Germans would make fun of us, the Italy. And what's amazing now is in almost every country when you travel, uh, the, the burgeoning craft beer scenes are referencing what we're doing in America. And that's true whether you're in New Zealand, uh, Italy, or Scandinavia. And Scandinavia's got one of the, 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 the best uh, craft brewing scenes in the, in the world. And so I got to go there recently with my buddy Dr. Pat McGovern, a molecular archaeologist. There was a perfectly preserved uh, skeleton of a woman who was put inside of a tree trunk as a, uh, as a grave, a chopped up tree trunk cut in half. So well preserved that there's still brain matter that we got to see, and uh, that's a little gross. Um, and then there, there was a birch bark, there was a birch bark pail at her feet that still had the residue in it from what they were drinking, and we reverse engineered what we're about to come, with, come out with from what we found in that 3,000 year old uh, birch pail. So that'll come out in the fall. Another question. So uh, Bitches Brew is a beer we're really uh, proud of. Um, back when we were brewing these beers with exotic ingredients and getting made fun of, one of the uh, first beers that we brewed to prove that before the Rheinheitsgebot existed, cultures were much more adventurous than the light lager dominated world we live in, uh, was a Tej. And a Tej is the uh, national beer of uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, and it's actually a honey beer. It's basically uh, a mead, which is fermented honey. But to bitter it, since hops don't grow down there, it's too warm, they use something called geisha root which is a tree root. And so uh, there's an awesome overlap in the worlds of, of music and beer. Uh, and I got a call uh, um, three or four years ago from a guy who was in this room last night, uh, who's the president of Legacy Sony. And he said, hey, Sam, you know, I'm, I love your beer. And I read an article where you referenced a great Miles Davis quote, which when someone asked, asked me, you know, how do you decide what you're going to do next? I said, uh, Miles Davis once said, don't, don't, don't play what's there, play what's not there. And find a niche that no one's explored. Um, and he read that and he's like, you know, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew is celebrating its 40th anniversary next year. How would you feel about working with his family to do a beer to celebrate that? So that's what led to that. And that album's a great fusion. It was really the first fusion album of of rock and jazz. So for the beer, um, we, we kind of retrofitted it from Miles Davis's favorite chili recipe to, to pair with that. And it's a fusion uh, of Tej. Uh, one thread is, is Tej. We ferment that separately in a uni tank. And then two threads of it is uh, a, uh, a, an imperial stout uh, made with the geisha root uh, and made with uh, um, a, a special brown sugar from the island of Mauritius and off of, off of Africa. So that's where that collaboration came from. We thought that we would make it once, but we really love that beer. So we make it uh, every year. And Miles is nephew. And everyone's really psyched that we uh, keep making that beer. Uh, other questions? And I'm sure you guys will kick me off when I'm out of time, right? Okay, questions here? What's your involvement with the Italy Brewery? Okay, so Italy, that's another great example of um, 
the, 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 the sort of synergy between these different cultures coming together in the craft brewing revolution. The slow food movement, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of that. Uh, Seamus is certainly part of that, what he's doing. Um, it actually started as a revolt against a McDonald's opening in, in I think, downtown Rome, uh, 70s or 80s. And the guy who led that revolt founded the slow food movement, which is meals aren't supposed to be rushed through. They're supposed to be enjoyed by uh, over food and beer and wine and spirits that people made not in a rush and as naturally as possible. Um, and so they do a biannual... Um, a celebration of that movement in turn every other year and the Brewers Association has been a big part of that in bringing craft brewing culture over to that renting a booth there and and really before the when there were just a few Italian craft breweries that existed the Brewers Association started putting a booth there and you'd see more and more every year of these Italian winemakers and food makers coming over to our booth and seeing all these beers that we were making and then you started seeing the Italian pavilion of breweries growing every year uh, and uh, I don't even remember the question but well what was it? Slow food movement's awesome. Oh, Birria, Birria and, and Italy. So uh, the first Italy store is located across the street from where the slow food symposium happens. And uh, the slow food board and the Italy board share members. And the Italy company is founded by uh, this awesome guy, Oscar Fernetti, who um, sold a, a huge furniture company. Instead of cashing out and going and living down uh, in Sicily, uh, he said, I'm going to uh, find all the great artisanal producers of Italy. And instead of letting them go out of business, fighting against the giant conglomerates that they're up against in their industries, I'm going to create a retail environment that celebrates what they do. And there's now over two dozen, I think, Italy stores in, in Asia, in Europe. And when they decided to finally do one in Northern America, they knew that it was far enough away that they needed an American partner to, to help manage it. So they reached out to uh, Joe Bastianich and Mario Batali to be the restauranting partners in that. And when I'd go to those slow food events, I got to meet the Italian brewers that I knew we had so much in common with because they were brewing with chestnuts and uh, tree resins uh, and particularly Teo and Leo from Bira del Borgo and Baladam Brewery just felt like uh, brothers. And my mom's name's Mastriani, my dad's name's Kelajoni, so there was that as well. Um, but what happened when they came to, to New York is uh, they sat down with Mario and, and Joe and said, if we do this and we want to celebrate this cutting edge of Italian craft breweries that are really coming up and referencing and, 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 and recognizing American breweries as uh, inspirations, let's try and do a brewery in this facility. Uh, so that's what that came from. There's now Birria Breweries in uh, New York. Uh, Rome, we opened second. We'll be opening uh, Chicago in November, December-ish of uh, this year. And we're opening one down the coast of Italy as well. So uh, check out the Birrias. Another question there? Good, good sir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. That's a good friend. Okay. Yeah. 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 
That's a great question. And, you know, there's a, I know if you're here at this event, I know it wasn't a cheap ticket, but I hope you're getting your money's worth meeting all the people that make your beers when you're downstairs. Um, but I know Dogfish is not alone in the fact that we've been, uh, uh, demand is in front of supply. But put up with Dogfish, put up with Shorts Brewery, put up with uh, Founders, Three Floyds, because the options oftentimes, it seems like, okay, why, what the hell, just, just take out more money. But it's still a hard banking environment, and it's very hard for small breweries to get capital. Um, so if our choices are having to pull out of a market or having to take in venture capital money, which would ask you to grow so fast that you'd lose control of your company, or going public, and then every four, three months, you're having to answer to Wall Street, or selling out to one of the giant two breweries that want a piece of craft, know that that frustration's the, the better option so that these small breweries can keep kind of doing exactly what they want to do. Um, it's a, a long... It's a, 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 it's, a long, it's a long way of answering that we're all dealing with these capacity issues. And in our particular case at Dogfish, we're almost through the worst of it. We have a 200-barrel brewery that's one month away from uh, going into commission next to our 100-barrel brewery that's running 24-7. So yes, for the first time in four or five years, we're looking to potentially get back in the markets we were in once. Uh, and we kind of feel we owe it to them uh, to look at them before we go anywhere else. Uh, and then maybe we'll look past that someday in the, in the future. I think I'm getting the hook from the lovely... Okay. Okay, one more question. Gentlemen... Oh, shit. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, how about I do this? No more than two answer, two sentence answers to three questions. Go. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge hit, huge hit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that beer was born th blocks from here. I was on the rooftop in Italy with Dan the Automator. Uh, I took him through each of our beers, and we had a cheese grater, and we, we tried all the different ingredients, and he loved Saison's, and so we added his other favorite ingredients, which were cilantro and Fuji apples. So that beer was born blocks from here. Next, and then one more, and we're going to do this in three sentences. Go. Oh, you don't have a question anymore? Oh, that's good. Okay, then this is the last. Chicago in the house. You wanted a story. Oh, come on. <laughs> Done. It's a fancy. All right, let's see. Let's see if I got anything. You West Coast brewers, your shit is played. I get more IBUs from a batch of lemonade. <laughs> You sprinkle out the hops like it was paraphernalia. East Coast has got balls. You got female genitalia. <laughs> and that's how I'm going out. That's it. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right, everyone. Back to your saver. Thanks for coming. And uh, man, that was a great rap. <laughs> I think. Really high class. Really classy with the joint.
Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.